This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. The information provided, or any opinions expressed in this show, are of a general nature only, and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called Canny View, and it's all about finances. And today's my pleasure to have in the studio, my pleasure as always to have in the studio, Nick Stewart, who is the CEO of the Stewart Group right here in Hastings. How are you going, Nick? Great, thank you. Good to be here with you. Yeah, as we record this program, heading for about 26 degrees. It's, it's Hawke's Bay of old, isn't it? Oh, it is awesome. And, you know, there's uh, this weekend, I think Saturday, tomorrow is going to be 28, and then Sunday, 29, and with an evening temperature of 22. Don't you just love to get the old Barbie out? Well, I'm actually playing cricket. And, okay. <laughs> I, I, and, and a game of cricket is the Dr. Reeve 11 versus uh, the Hero with Second 11. And um, all, all, all the old men like myself <laughs> yes. roll the arm over <laughs> 29 <laughs> degrees with no shade. It'll Don't be amazing. To wear your big hat. Yep, you bet. Now, before we get into today's topics, we're going to revisit the Melbourne Cup. Aye. But before we get there, just remind our listeners, Nick, we want to come, uh, Nick, uh, we want to come and see you for some sound financial advice. How do we do that? Uh, you can come on down to um, the Stewart Group office in, at 204 Katamu Road in Hastings. That's the black basalt stone building with the tartan logo and the solar panels. Or you can visit us on the terrace yeah, in Wellington. Yeah, absolutely. Now, today we're going to wind the clock back a week or so mm. and just have a look at the Melbourne Cup. And uh, obviously, it's all about picking winners. And uh, just before we, I'll let you loose on it. Um, um, my wife has one better year, and she bets on the Melbourne Cup. And she, uh, she this year, she, she she spends 100 bucks. Yes. And this year, she came out with $115. Was, was, was that a good investment, Nick? <laughs> An investment, no, no, I wouldn't call it an investment, but I should say that, um, look, because, you know, the house always wins, Yes. and whenever I tell someone that they've made a profit, they should take it, because, um, yeah, yeah, because, you know, if the house always wins and you're ahead, then um, call it a day, and um, luck was on your side, lady luck was on your side, and um, walk away. Hmm. Now, of course, we can uh, directly relate that to... Buying shares, can't we? Because buying shares yeah. is a bit like picking a pony. Well, um, some people, it's, it's interesting because I've actually spoken to people about investing and they've said to me, well, perhaps you could tell us some stocks that we could have a flutter on. And I'm like, I just, and you know, I may not say it, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and anyway, uh, because clearly the people are not, you know, it's not a goals and objectives based approach. It's just about trying to pick a winner. Um, like greyhounds, um, oh, blimey, you could, yeah. you know, you know, racing rats like the Russians do. I mean, you know, you're just picking, you're trying to pick a winner uh, in the belief system that you know better than the average man, which is which is pretty, which is you know, extremely difficult. And when we look at stocks, um, there are so many things that we know about how investments work and how they function, and the fact is that a company is like a living organism. Um, it employs people, it sells goods, it sells services, it pays tax. Um, it's an it's an evolving beast, and if you're lucky, it will grow in price and it will pay you 
a distribution at least once, if not twice, a year. That's very different than a racehorse. Yeah. Now, we have spoken about blue chip shares before. Mm. And, in, and in the old days, you could pick on a share and uh, almost, almost guarantee that if you invested uh, 10 bucks in it, you might get 12 or 13 or 14 at the end of, of the year. Um, and I, I might suggest that someone comes along to you and they say, oh, well, we want a bit of advice, Nick, and I know you've been in the business for 30 years or so. Mm. Yeah, uh, you 35 must have in some, January. You must have some inside <laughs> knowledge. What's the, what's the pick? Are those blue chip shares, are they still out there and do they return on the investment yeah, yeah. I'm look, talking about? Look, um, you know, New Zealand has blue chip shares. Um, you know, the, the more accurate definition these days would be calling them, say, large capitalisation mm-hmm. companies, so you're big end of town. And on a global scale, that's your kind of Apple, Microsoft, etc. you know, the big, big companies. And in New Zealand, that, you know, is companies like, um, you know, Fletcher Building, Spark, the utility companies that you and I use every mm-hmm. day, like you know Meridian, Mighty River, Contact, etc. Um, the big end of town, and they are typically quite stable in their earnings structure. Quite often, they have quite a large economic moat around them. So, if you think about something like Auckland Airport, now that is a large blue yep. chip company. Now, I appreciate that it's got COVID issues at the moment, and it's not quite what it was. Certainly, the um, <laughs> You could roll a tumbleweed down the yes. concourse. There's not many people there. But, but you know, it's got cargo and freight, and it's got, um, you know, New Zealanders returning from overseas and the occasional flight um, outbound. But there's a massive economic rotor, a moat around that company because the possibility of someone coming in and building another international airport uh, within a stone's throw of Auckland is indeed remote. Mm. It's a little bit like Heathrow in London, you know, the, the possibility of securing the land, the consents, going through the process, it's just not going to happen. So effectively, they're in an almost monopolistic um, position. So again, using that word, that economic moat, yep. and that's kind of your castle siege mentality language, but the business is there for the long term, unless the underlying framework of the business was to change. Now, in one of your articles that I've got in front of me, mm. uh, you've listed a whole bunch of uh, companies, which even an old guy like me, I've heard of all of them. Um, but I wonder, yes. um, is the beauty of what they do, for instance, you've listed My Food Bag, mm. uh, Pumpkin Patch, uh, the Winyard Group, Sky TV. I mean, everyone's heard of those. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, they've got to be a good investment. Is that the case or not? Okay. Now, or the reason now, um, the reason why most of us have heard about these companies, just the same as celebrities or sports stars, you may have heard of a celebrity, a sports star, or a stock because it's negative or positive. Not everything yes. is positive. And, you know, as we know, there are musicians that are more famous for the negative things they do than the positive. Yes. Now, the list of companies that we've just talked about, the reason why I, I was talking about these, and I, I wrote an opinion piece recently um, that we published, it was around the fact that before the Melbourne Cup or between, you know, before any race day, you know, such as the race days we have yep. here uh, in Hastings, you know, the, the, you know there's like a, a, a pick list of the horses, that are forecast to do very well. Well, stockbrokers do something similar with companies. And the reason why we chose these companies is that these these companies were were proverbial hot picks or favourites. Quite often, or more often than not, they appeared in multiple years of stock picks for the year ahead. Companies that you must own. Now, these are not my words. These are the words that you get from this stuff. You know, like this, you know, know, a sure bet, you know, all that usual... 
you know, so headline talk, grabbing stuff. Yeah, they're talked up. You bet they are. And if you look at A2, well, I mean, you know, A2's dragged our index down. The New Zealand Stock Exchange, at the present time, the New Zealand Stock Exchange is currently below where it was at the start of the calendar year. Mm. Now, that that's unusual. Yeah. Because New Zealand, we've had an, oh, basically, we've not had a negative year since the global financial crisis. Is it unusual or not surprising because of COVID-19? No, well, I, th- I don't actually believe it's got... Uh, look, COVID is part of it, but if we look at other global markets, other global markets are up 25% in the same year. Mm. So you're sitting there, so New yeah. Zealand's an outlier on this one. But a key component of why that is is because of A2 Milk. Yeah. And A2 Milk has come back... It has shed 70% of its market capitalisation or stock price has vaporised, you know, spilt milk over the last 12 months. So that's, that's well, last 15 months. And then you've got my food bag. Well, you know, people piled into that, and they're saying, you know, it was like kind of like a recession-proof animal, and because of COVID, you know, people in lockdown would flock to ordering, you know, boxes of food on a Sunday. Hey, I, I, I'm one of them, yeah. but, um, but I didn't buy the stock. But the fact is that those that, those that, you know, went for the instant investment satisfaction of thinking that they'd get the same instant satisfaction as they do of getting their ingredients dropped off on a Sunday has not translated into investor wealth. Mm. It's actually been, inv- been a destruction of wealth over the period since it listed. It's actually done very poorly. Punk and Patch, well, that's gone. Winyard Group, gone. Windflow Technologies, gone. Sky TV has it's lifted in the last six months, but it's a shadow of its former self. It used to be one of our pinup boys yeah. or girls. So what I'm saying is, these were all companies that were told, "Hot picks, you need to own these in your portfolio," and these companies have um, have been painful. Yeah. Are some of the big companies that we talked about um, are they a bit like? Flares, you know, who didn't wear flares in the seventies? Oh, flares! <laughs> are, they, are, they, are they just fad companies? And like you say, they're talked up, and we all get into them, and then all of a sudden, like flares, they're gone. Oh, um, yeah, fashion and stocks. Okay, I can see, you know, in a simplistic sense, that is there. Um, and some companies do wax and wane, but remember, unlike flares, you know, you buy the pair of flares; they are what they are. But companies morph, mm. companies change. If you think about in the United States, I'm going to use the most one of the most iconic brands, which is Wells Fargo, which used to be a horse and coach yeah. business. Well, it's now one of the largest banks in the United States. So, of course, that company, dare I say it, had they stayed being a uh, yes. <laughs> horse-drawn <Giddy> carriage <laughs> business, giddy up, they would be you know, um, gone the way of the dodo. But the business evolved. So, you know, fashion versus stocks, yeah, there's a slight thread, excuse the pun, yeah. between the two. But um, but companies do morph, and some companies are extremely clever on how they evolve as a business. Some of them, I mean, if you think about the Fletcher Challenge Group, you know, the absolute pin-up name of, you know, you know New Zealand infrastructure and entrepreneurship, like a very clever, originally family business, then listed business in the form of Fletcher Challenge. If you think about what they split off, I mean, they split the company off into the, the, what's called the letter stocks, and there was Fletcher Paper, Fletcher Forest, Fletcher Building, and Fletcher Energy. So they, they morphed yep. them off, and each company then, you know, it was like um, 
you know, releasing, you know, releasing pigeons from the coop, they all disappeared into different areas. Some of them were very, very successful, others not so much. But the company evolved. Yeah. And it's incredible what they do. So flavour of the month, companies do change. Now, I was going to talk to you about um, mm. about uh, Investing 101. And my next question was, though, with those companies, again, even if we just stick with those companies that we just mentioned, yes. um, how do we do our research? And that's a good segue into uh, coming to see an expert like yourself. I mean, seeking professional advice, obviously, is something that you're going to say, you must do that, and I totally agree with you. <laughs> So what's Investing 101, talk to us about it. Well, firstly, it's knowing where you want to get to, yep. what, you know, what are your desires, why are you investing. Then it's a question of establishing what's your risk appetite or risk profile. So, for example, Ken, if I said to you, how about, how about and, and I gave you two portfolios, and one was, say, balanced, which is you know in the middle, not too hot, not too cold, that kind of Goldilocks effect. Yep. The other was a um, you know, rocket-propelled, aggressive portfolio, now, if you just said to me, I want the one with the highest rate of return, so of course, it's long-term, it's going to be the growth aggressive portfolio, the rocket ship. But if I showed you, and if, if we lifted the bonnet and I showed you the hmm, historical or projected um, travel directory and, or trajectory and how volatile that's going to be, it may make you feel very uncomfortable. Mm. You're very, very happy with the headline number of the return. But if I told you that at periods of time you're going to be down 25%, yes. you may say, that is not for me. Yeah. And I, so, so let's pivot to Hawke's Bay farmers. Now, you know, we've got lots of farmers mm-hmm. that listen to the show. You know, Hawke's Bay, we're a hinterland economy. No matter what people say about we're pivoting to this or pivoting to that, that awful political term, the fact is that we're a hinterland service provider. Now, everyone would love the long-run number of both the income, but more importantly, the capital growth of the farm. But the fact is there are periods of time along the way where we have things called droughts, we have things called hailstorms. And you know what? You live on the smell of an oily rag, and life is tough, and it is hard. And those people are very, you know, if you ask a farmer, they're very, very patient people, and they understand the weather, and they understand the ups and downs. They're actually very good investors, we find. But if you give that overlay to the man on the street, they would say, that's not for me. No. And, in fact, someone once said to me that um, only invest in the share market if you have the money to lose. So if you can afford to lose the money, Invest in the share market. Yep. Would that be a fair comment? Um, hey, that's one of those That's those kind of um, rules of thumb, yep. uh, like the old builder's rule of thumb. Uh, it is a good one. Uh, another rule of thumb, a very common one, is uh, the rule of 4%, and that is that if you draw down 4% of the capital to live on and you're in a more um, equity or growth-focused uh, portfolio, if you take 4%, and you compound the rest, it will inflation protect itself long term. There are these, you know, these rules of thumb, and the one you just gave is a classic yep. rule of thumb. Now, investing one on one. If I came to you as the expert and I said, "Okay, Nick, and I, I know you're going to mm. say diversification, but um, <laughs> yeah, I can buy shares, I can buy bonds, I can buy property, yes. I can do term deposits, I can do art, I can do wine." Yep. What's the hot one at the moment? Or would you say? All of them. Get into all of them. Bit of this, bit of that, bit of the other. Yep, because if I gave you one of them as an example, I'll either be right or wrong tomorrow or the day later because, you know, 
anyone that says I've got a crystal ball better than someone else about picking stocks, currencies, commodities, um, is only one day away from being made to look a fool. Yes. Um, but the, the key to it is to break the portfolio down and, again, go back to the risk profile, look at the appetite and say, what does the investor desire to achieve? And then diversification is your friend. The key is engineering the right mix of assets to the underlying client. Mm. Because, look, not every company or portfolio or index or currency or country is right for every investor. There are some people that are really happy for their capital to be tied up in a private equity investment where they can't get their capital out for 10 years. Mm. Some people are really, really happy with that. Others, they're kind of, they move, they flit, uh, they flutter, they flit in and out of investments quite frequently. A little bit like people can, you know, you know how they're like, say, so, you know, you and I, we've been in the same houses for a long period mm-hmm. of time. There are other people, they move to a new house every three years. Yeah. So you can imagine that type of personality probably wouldn't be good for a locked up 10 year investment. Whereas for others, they're like, you know what? I won't look at it for 10 years. That's fine. Like forestry, 20 to 25 yeah. year investment horizon. Sure. Some people, that's fine for them. Others, they're like, they get a little bit anxious 18 months in because they're like, oh, oh, I might want to do something else. Yes. Well, at that stage, they're just seedlings in the grass, yeah. little, little wee trees. Whereas in 25 years, harv- or 20 to 25 years, harvest time. Yeah. You mentioned a bit earlier about setting goals. How do you set goals when you're investing in, in, um, in bonds and shares and turn deposits and art and wine? I mean, Normally, we'd look at the goals and say, okay, in the next 12 months, I want to be doing this, and in the next two years... It, how far do you go out when you're setting goals with investing? It depends, and you'll sit down and you'll typically it's a it's a it's a discussion between couples because there are, there are a two there are in fact two decision makers, not one, and each one has slightly different goals. So we need to mm-hmm. blend them together and create a bespoke solution. But there are, and and there are some people that have very short term goals. But the key is, now, Ken, some people are really, really good at setting goals. They can do them themselves. They can do them with their partner, with their children, with their grandchildren. They're just born with that inherent skill or they've developed that skill. There are others that really find it hard to develop and set their goals and understand it and they're really not interested. And some of those people, they need to be coached and mentored so that they do set those. And then, look, unfortunately, there are some people that they just really like living on the edge. And, you know, they're kind of and like, I, um, you know, I'm a person of Christian belief, but um, I don't mean to be disingenuous, but some people are like, God will provide. Yes. And they just believe, they just say, you know what? It'll be, it will be what it will be. And they actually don't want to do any planning and they're just happy to live like that. And, hey, that's cool. I would presume that I come and see an expert like you, Mm. And another article that you've written yes. is, you know, how do we how do we know we are getting the best from our professional? Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I don't need to do any research, Nick, because you've done it all for me. Because <laughs> you are the expert in the field. But how do I know that uh, as a punter, I'm getting yes. the expert in the field? Okay, so so this is the um, this is around um, seeking independent validation of the advisor or the service you're getting. So. You know, if you and I were to go and buy a car, I'll say, Ken, you know, this weekend you're going to go and buy a car. I'd say to you, at minimum, go and get an AA check because you're seeking independent validation by someone who's, who has no vested interest in the sale. You're paying them or the vendor, 
the person selling the vehicle is paying for an independent certification or validation of the item. In the case of us, it's independent validation of the service, of the level of service and what we're providing. So, for example, for ourselves, we went out and sought independent validation in the form of a CFEX accreditation, which is like a, or is a two-yearly independent audit of all of our advice process by someone who has no vested interest. So they tell us where we can make improvements. Um, it's like It's like putting yourself through a self-imposed audit, mm-hmm. and then you get a bill for the audit at the end. Yes. Some companies actually do this because of their size and scale, and you know it can be it's it can it can be an incredibly rewarding experience for the firm because they can get better and faster and more efficient and do a better job for their clients. But the aspect is the key one: is that the client can say, "Tell me about your audit. Yeah. Tell me about your validation," and it means that the due diligence that the client would have otherwise done themselves, and they're not an expert in this area, they're not an auditor, but it means they can go, you know what, I know that firm has been audited and they are continually audited. And so for us, that's our validation. That's the due diligence on the process. And we think it's a really robust framework. I mean, when you and I, when we fly on an aeroplane, it has gone through a huge amount of testing and rigour and procedures you know, the technology is actually quite old because it takes so long to come through. It's a little bit like the pharmaceutical industry. It goes through a huge amount of hurdles. I mean, the amount of drugs that never make it to market mm. is massive. Well, if you think about it, well, if you're going to trust someone with your um, your 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 family for flying, you'd want to know the plane's been verified and the pilot's been certified. If you're going to... Um, um, you know, take pharmaceutical drugs, you want to know that they've been validated. Yes, indeed. So we're talking health and the human body and your family. Why wouldn't you do that with your money? Exactly. Now, And also, of course, you've been in business for 35 years, so there must be something good going on at mm. your group. But I suppose from a, a punter's point of view, anyone can hang, hang up a shingle, can't they? Uh, historically, they could, but now there's actually a huge amount of regulation around financial advisors. So every financial advisor uh, in New Zealand that offers advice needs to be on a central register, um, the financial services providers register, that anyone with the internet can go and search, mm-hmm. and you can find out about the company and who's part of their governance oversight. When I say governance oversight, every advisor has to be part of a financial advice provider, um, someone who holds an ultimate licence and um, is ultimately responsible for all of the advice given. And that, it's all publicly available information. Sure. But do they then also have to have that audit that you talked about? Or no, they do not. No, for us, that is a self-imposed yes. audit that we wanted to do, that we wanted to achieve, so that we just wanted to remove a whole lot of the due diligence requirement that clients would otherwise have to do. We said, look, here's a pack. Here's an independent certification of what we do. You're most welcome to do additional due diligence, but here's, this is an international, global standard of certification. Good on you, Nick. Just about out of time. Maybe we could end up with one of your favourite songs. We've got about a minute and a half of good music coming our way. What would it be? <coughs> it is Bobby Womack, Across 110th Street. That is just one awesome song. It is a great song. Good on you, Nick. My pleasure, as always. You look after yourself. We'll talk at the same time, same place next time. I look forward to it.
The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.